This podcast is powered by The Plug. Hey there, podcast listening people. Connor Doobie here, and really appreciate you for tuning in. You're listening to Mile High Mentors. Hope you're taking care of yourself. Hope you're at least trying your best to have some fun in the process and self-educating, which I imagine you are. You're listening to the podcast just for that. We're here to bring you Colorado community insights, resources, and locals who you can connect with in real time. And uh, with that, I have a phenomenal guest for you today. Also, by the way, don't forget, make, make sure wherever you're listening, number one, go subscribe. That way you get notified when you see new episodes or new episodes get updated. You can pick and choose from the ones you're interested in. Go back, listen to past episodes. We're on all your favorite podcast apps. So make sure you subscribe and please leave a five-star review as well so that others can find the show too. Today's guest is my friend, Phil Lockwood, who has built a 25-year career in digital, including a CEO seat at multiple agencies. He's worked with clients like the NBA, NFL teams, Jimmy John's, Frontier Airlines, Dish TV, MacQuest, Molson Coors, and many more. He is currently a chief visionary of Distill, which is an established growth agency specializing in conversion-optimized websites, workflows, and training programs. You're going to learn a lot. Um, I've been in B2B marketing for probably 10 years now, and I've even learned a lot. So there's a lot to to gain. And uh, Phil, you know, he he's an expert at teaching. He's a speaker, regular podcast guest, and even has his own daily uh, business vlog, which you can go check out, go learn from. It's completely free to you. Distillagency.com forward slash YouTube. Before we get into the show, uh, if you're interested in partnering up, sponsoring Mile High Mentors, collaborating in one way or another, something we're always open to, make sure you send us a note, milehighmentors at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. Again, milehighmentors at gmail.com. And uh, you can also message us wherever you find us on social media as well. Uh, at Mile High Mentors. Send us a note. Let us know uh, how you want to collaborate, something we're always open to, and trying to continuously grow, expand, and add value to the Colorado community. With that, folks, again, make sure you give us a shout. Make sure you follow us on social. Make sure you leave the podcast a review. And without further ado, please welcome Phil Lockwood to the Mile High Mentors podcast. Go, brother. 
well, thanks for joining. Really excited. Uh, is a good way to get started. Love the 5280 view of your background um, and what's kind of led you to where you're at in your career today. Yeah, well, I've been in this industry, so let's say digital marketing, for lack of a better term, right, for uh, almost 25 years now. And that was after a, like, four-year stint in the Air Force. So originally, I was going to be a fighter pilot, but I decided to change directions and kind of go the business route. And uh, it was about 19 years ago that I started my, my agency, my first agency, I should say. And technically, we've kind of gone through a number of names, brands over the 19-year history, different kind of ownership, a merger, a reverse merger, all this other stuff. But whenever it's convenient, I say that it's just one big history for one agency. Um, what do they say? To, the victor gets to write the history. So, you know, I do whatever's convenient for my story at the time. Uh, but yeah, our agency is really kind of Denver-based, although we went completely virtual a year ago. Uh, so I've got partners in New York and in Denver, and then I've been out here in uh, Coronado, California for the past couple of months, and I just kind of split my year here, but we are really just a growth agency, so we do everything from websites to lead generation and digital marketing campaigns, so kind of across the board and lots of variation over the 19-year history. You're living that agency life before the agency life was cool, right? <laughs> and pretty much every every uh different type of blueprint for it too you know definitely I mean, gone from like really wanting it to be a big agency i mean we talked to omnicom about acquisitions 12 years ago and definitely much more of a lifestyle agency a lifestyle business these days uh but yeah it's, it's been a great ride regardless yeah. well it's such a popular business model you see a lot of marketers out there i mean everyone and their mom is in marketing now from your background, what does, that, what does that mean to you? What does that term agency, having agency as a business mean to you? Well, I think having uh, expertise beyond yourself, you know, and I think it can be a very loose term when we say agency because, uh, I mean, honestly, there have been times beyond just that first six months when I started this agency um, when we were just one person, where it was just me. And sometimes you position yourself as an agency that way, but I think where I really see the big difference is just having those additional capabilities, different people who can specialize in different areas. And I think that um, that's, that's the DNA that I see in terms of a, a capable agency, somebody who goes beyond a freelancer. Not that there's anything wrong with that freelance side. Um, I think we've seen a lot of value in that over the years. But for me, it's, it's, it feels like an agency when you can build some sort of culture beyond yourself and actually make things really fun. Uh, in fact. Awesome. You know, we're talking about the whole remote makeup, and I think the single biggest challenge with remote is building and maintaining culture, right? Right. So. Yeah, or having a business model that sustains remote. Agency is a great way to do that if people are having to shift out of what they're doing and dive into an entirely new business or entire business was disrupted out of COVID. So. Yep. Well, you know, the, the technology side, I think, of agency DNA makes it so ideal for that remote component because we already know. I mean, we live it and breathe it every day. This is the nature of our work, whereas we don't see that with a lot of our clients who are in more traditional industries. Right. So, you're in the, thank you for your service, by the way. How, does, how, do, how do you feel that's applied um, throughout your life and throughout your uh, business career? Not much at all, honestly. Uh, uh -huh. I, I had a blast, actually, uh, and it was a very 
varied career. I mean, I, I went on active duty in the Air Force, so stationed as a crew chief on C-130s in the middle of the desert. And then I went to the Air Force Academy as a student there. And then I went back on active duty, uh, back in the desert, a different desert. But um, I, I kind of grew up very much in a structured mindset always been very OCD, very organized. So it was more like the military thing was a good fit for who I already was. And it's not so much that military had a big impact on where I went with my career or anything like that. So I really don't think it had a, played a significant role in the direction that I went or who I am or how I approach business today. It's just something that was fun from, from my background. Yeah. Would you consider yourself more of a creative or more of a business organizer that's made and that's what's made you successful versus more so like a lot of people in marketing they go in because they're really creative but they don't know how to build a business out of it and organize a business or the reversal you know what I mean yeah you know I grew up like as an artist basically from a very very young age I was just drawing and doing all these arts and crafts and that was kind of my thing I think a lot of people assumed I was going to go the art route uh, when I got older but I'll tell you, I don't, I can't put my finger on what this thing is, but I feel like the reason I've been fairly successful in business is because, and maybe more specifically successful as an agency is because I definitely have that creative background. So I have an appreciation for that. That's how I got started in the industry as a designer. But I also like went through official schooling to learn how to program. Um, I kind of did some college up at CU Boulder on the finance side, but it was so insignificant. It's almost not worth mentioning. But I guess what I'm trying to say is there's something about how I've been able to just kind of see each area. So I was a UX designer. I was a creative designer. I was a developer. I was a project manager. And of course, I was a business owner. So I think what really has set us apart is having that level of expertise in my mindset, for sure, as the leader of the organization, but also then being able to build a core team that matches that. And I think where I've seen a big difference between my agency and those that we've competed against over the years is that maybe some of those feel like they're really strong on the creative side or on the technology side, but it is more rare not completely unusual, but more rare to find those that are very well-rounded. So again, I don't know where that came from. I wouldn't say it's the military, uh, but somewhere I picked up this ability to, I guess, maybe work both left and right sides of the brain almost, I might say equally, my interpretation. Yeah. Well, and when you've mentioned like success a few times, successful, how would you define that? What does that mean for you as someone, I mean, you're successful enough that you can live in multiple locations, California, Colorado, you've got done business all over. But so, so I think from the outside perspective, a young entrepreneur looking at you, seeing you as successful, you defining yourself as successful. How do you actually define that? And just to be clear and fair, what Mm -hmm. did I say? Actually, Um, somewhat successful, relatively successful. I don't know. I, I, I positioned it some way because certainly in my mind, like, I'm no billionaire. Um, I think it would be fun to be a billionaire like you. I mean, I'm one of these people that suffers from a billionaire like me. (laughs) How did you know? Uh, I'm ambitious like you, right? I mean, I've heard that only 3% of people are ambitious. Uh, I've also heard somewhere along the way, there was some movie where somebody said, at what point did we determine that ambition was a virtue? 
And that really made me think like, oh yeah, I guess it's not a given. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you more successful. It's just an attribute like anything else. Uh, but I, because our type of people have that ambition, I think that success may never fully feel like something you have, but it's something you constantly, for lack of a better term, chase. And I don't want to say that that means we're never happy. I think you're probably happy. I'm very happy. I live a, a very fulfilled life, but I never want to settle, right? Mm. So when I say successful, I mean, I'm happy and we're making money. And yeah, I can do the vast majority of things I want to do. Haven't been able to buy that super yacht that I've wanted yet, uh, but everything else, you know, I mean, I've got the family, I've, I've got the freedom. And I think that makes me wake up every day feeling successful for sure. Interesting. Yeah, it's, I always used to think people, everyone was like me, like everyone had the ambitions, you know, when I was in college and, you know, doing door to door sales and other people were not excelling. Some people were, and just throughout my professional life. Um, it's interesting. I didn't even know that 3%. And that's like, and that's just people like, how, how do they define that ambition? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not, I don't know how they qualified or quantified that. But if you think about it, you know, just take a random 100 person sampling and you've got to yeah. include uh, people you know, and you've got to include family in there. And again, we don't need to say that ambition is a virtue. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not superior. It's, it's like saying- It's kind of a curse almost, right? Like, do you, do you can. feel like you can't like sit, like not be growing to the next step? Like, does that kind of bother you a little bit? I think maybe, uh, I think what bothers me most about it is that I know it is not the purest form of who I could be. I think sometimes, not too often, but I think sometimes, what if something happened to my family? I'll be honest, I would hightail it over to Asia and I would become a monk and I would meditate for 18 hours a day because I feel like getting that kind of mental clarity, becoming enlightened, I feel like, you know, just beyond putting love out into the world, probably the most important thing we could do, the most real thing we could do, you know, but everything else that we do in terms of business and, and, and money, um, even if we're not greedy, it's, it's still materialistic. And uh, I think that a lot of good can come out of it. So I don't feel guilty per se, but I do know that ambition and success that comes from that ambition are really, that, that's not the end game. And we're, probably we're probably fooling ourselves anytime we try to believe or feel that that is the case. What do you mean by that? Um, anytime we, we start to put too much emphasis on the importance of what we're doing in business mm. and it can be very selfless. You know, we can go from saying, I just want to make money. I want to have an ad agency and, and get rich to saying, you know, we're actually helping businesses. We're helping small businesses every day. We're these entrepreneurs who may be struggling, like we're helping them fulfill their dreams by increasing sales and being successful at business on their own. But still at the end of the day, what we're doing is empowering and contributing to a relatively materialistic machine. Um, so I think good and bad can come from anything, but I just never try to put too much emphasis or importance on anything related to the business as really being even remotely close to the meaning of life. You know, that's probably been a big contributor to your six, you know, six, how, 
how others may define success or partial success is, is that mentality. I've even found myself doing that. You get so caught up in the grind and the push and like, you know, just like, Oh my God, we're doing this in revenue. Like we're, we're, we got to get here. We got to get here. And it's almost when you take a step back, work that mindfulness in the bigger picture, uh, you can almost be more successful. You can you know, like things almost elevate by relaxing than pushing. I think you see that kind of thing all the time. And I, I call it, you know, genius um, in the sense that I believe that genius is the ability to make the complex seem simple. And mm. anybody who clearly just enjoys what they're doing, no matter what it is, is going to make things seem simpler. It's that person who takes it too seriously and gets upset when they're not meeting um, their own expectations that it's, it's going to constantly feel like a struggle. So yeah, anytime you can say, this is fun, I'm enjoying it. No matter where you are on that ladder to whatever ultimate success is, it's going to feel like you're, you're winning, right? Right. What, what kind of practices do you put into place to is it meditation or something along those lines? Like, um, cause I kind of sense that if there's any like practices you're doing regularly to keep that balance, I mean, balance doesn't exist perfectly, but, um, some form of balance. I have, uh, uh, what would you call it? Like a, I have some social media profiles with my wife, with my family, and the name of it is always be changing. So that's what we are on YouTube and Instagram. That also happens to be one of our agency's core values, always be changing. And I pushed for this one to be one of our core values because I knew that anyone on my staff who didn't like change was going to struggle working for me. So um, do I meditate right now? No. Did I last year? Yeah. I mean, I, I find it difficult to really do the same things every single day, year after year. Mm. And I've told this story before about my dad who, when he was 17, went to lineman school. So he worked on power lines from the age of 17 until he retired in the 60s. Exactly the same job because when you're a lineman, you, don't, you can get seniority, but you don't change jobs. You don't work your way up to like a, a desk position or anything like that, right? Uh, so always blown my mind how he can stick to the same thing every day for all of those decades. Whereas, you know, for me, um, working out, has probably been the most consistent thing over the past decade, whereas meditation has been very difficult. So I go through, I, I guess I kind of just try to listen to my psyche and understand what I need at any point in time. And sometimes I feel like I get a lot of inspiration and drive from reading or listening to certain podcasts or audibles. And other times I feel like that's, that's not what's going to motivate me right now. I need to kind of, uh, like clear my head. And so maybe I'll focus more on just getting out and immersing myself in culture to try to get more perspective. So there's really no consistency as a general rule to my daily practices, except that, yes, obviously I'm constantly involved in chasing things that I think are going to help me become a better person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, but you said exercise, you exercise pretty regularly. I'd consider that a form of meditation. At a certain level. I mean, I find myself, I mean, even during quarantine stuff, it's like, man, I mean, our gym finally just opened up, but trying to like motivate yourself to work out in your apartment or home. And um, I've noticed a big difference in my business days. I'm like dragging ass by three o'clock. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yep. 
Uh, well, luckily here, it's like fun to run around the island and I can even run on the beach, but we're not really allowed to stop and hang out on the beach. You can't right, use exercise right. equipment on the beach. So I, I can't even do a pull up. <clears throat> Our gym's not open. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's a struggle, but you just got to adapt. Yeah. Always be changing. Yeah. What do you see? What do you think some of the biggest changes out of everything happening? I, people are exhausted talking about COVID and all that, but everyone's got different perspectives. What do you think are going to be some of the biggest business shifts, marketing shifts um, that we're going to see out of this? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a, a huge discussion. So like just throwing out one or two, no surprise if there's going to be a, a very big shift, I think, in terms of remote work. And even beyond that, I see how that's probably going to impact the commercial real estate market. We, you're already looking around and there hasn't been a huge, based on what I hear, a huge change on the residential real estate side. You know, I mean, people still need to move for various reasons. People still need to buy and sell. And unless it seems like the economy is just totally going to hell in a handbasket for longer term, people are going to, I think homes will kind of maintain their pricing. But that commercial real estate side, if we get what you were talking about earlier, what 40% of businesses may see permanent change from this, you know, on that side. And I mean, it could be 15%. It doesn't matter. The amount of commercial real estate inventory that we're going to have is going to have such an impact, uh, especially in those very urban areas. You now, downtown where you are, uh, what about every high rise that's under construction right Do, now? Think what of happened? all the luxury stuff that was just built downtown here. This building I'm in is maybe at 60% capacity, like they're not going to fill the rest of that in the next year. Yeah. If that, if this remote mindset really sticks, that's there, there's, it's not just a matter of slowing down commercial real estate development. It's that the existing inventory is going to become a real problem. Uh, so I, I do wonder about what that's going to make a lot of downtown environments work. I've been to a lot of metro areas as I'm sure you have, and you see so many of them that we're struggling already. Um, you know, I've been to Portland, I've been to New Orleans, I've been to a number of other areas I can think of off the top Am of my amidst head. Amidst all of this? Like no, recently? no. Oh. You know, in the past few years, we're already you're like, man, this place is a ghost town and it's only going to get worse after right. something like this. Uh, commercial real estate doesn't just mean, the retail side, it's like that office side that I think is going to take a major hit. Yeah. So, they just put a new building in up the street over here and I can't fathom people are, you know, um, I wouldn't mind, like I'll go get an office space, but some people are fearful and they'll never, ever go back to an office again. And I think sometimes it goes beyond fear. Like what you already know, what I already know is that it doesn't have to be about whether or not we're getting our staff sick the mm -hmm. fact that you can have people work remote can save an enormous amount of money. And for a smaller agency or a smaller business, it could be a few thousand dollars a month. But when you're talking about a bigger organization like Twitter saying, you know what, you can just stay remote forever. Uh, and Square, of course, uh, Dorsey's other company, you can stay remote forever. That's, that's a lot of office space. You're maybe yeah. talking hundreds of thousands. They have like campuses for yeah. their offices, right? Yep. So, um, I mean, you know, all that money has got to go somewhere. All that money has got to come from somewhere. So this is, it may be a year long, year and a half long pandemic, but I suspect this is going to be a five to 10 year impact in terms of how things kind of shift. And that's without even getting into what I was, what was already at play with mm -hmm. the loss of jobs from automation and everything like that. So. 
For, for those who are in Colorado, what do you think the bigger opportunity for Colorado businesses will be? You know, retail may be totally disrupted. I know a lot of re, uh, retail um, commercial real estate agents here also to sell office spaces and everything. But uh, yeah. what do you think the positive, what do you think some of the upside for entrepreneurs in Colorado would be? Well, you probably see a lot of this too because of where you work in business, but having been in the, let's call it like the website space yeah. for the past 25 years, I mean, that's still so underutilized. And the moment all this stuff started going down, like we just reached out to a lot of our clients and said, maybe now's a great time to take e-commerce a little more seriously because yeah, you've got a website, but it's maybe brochureware or it's lead gen, but you know, you can sell stuff there. And, uh, a lot of the platforms that we work with, e-commerce platforms, have come out very quickly with new options and features specifically to address businesses who are struggling because of this. I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think that it's opened people's eyes to um, how much business they can actually generate online. It's opened e-commerce platforms' eyes to how much more potential has been left on the table because of this antiquated thinking that where people have been stuck for so long, but businesses of almost every type. And we've even got uh, like a house cleaning client. And we said, you should be selling gift certificates because parents will do that um, for their kids. Or, you know, if you stay in someone's house, you can do a gift certificate for a free cleaning, things like this. So at any level, whether you're service or product-based business, you should be doing something via e-commerce. I think there's a ton of potential that people still aren't tapping there. Are you, do you do, e you're doing e-commerce on the B2B and the B2C side? Or when yeah, you're saying e-commerce, mostly like just retail-based clients, consumer-based clients? Oh, I think both. And we still have a very healthy mix of B2B and B2C clientele, even though these days we try to push our, our, our own demand generation on the B2B side. But, yeah. Cause retail um, really, or I'm sorry, e-commerce really is one of your core area, places that you've dominated over the years. Yeah, exactly. Been featured for. Yep. And yeah. um, it's, it's, I mean, so much more friendly. There's so many more options today. It's not the old school, like here's a shopping cart, add things to it, but the ability to integrate with social media and, uh, to sell on third-party platforms is it's never been easier or more inexpensive, honest, honestly. You know, it used to be we, we'd probably charge a minimum of 50 grand for an e-commerce website. And now, I mean, shoot, you could set up a Squarespace website on your own in half a day and be selling stuff. So, so what's a good strategy for the B2B e-commerce side? I think that's well, unfamiliar for, for a lot, even myself included. A lot of times, think of it this way, uh, you're familiar with like funnel marketing, right? And yeah. uh, even though I dislike some of these terms, you, I'll throw them out, uh, like tripwire offers, right? So very inexpensive, no brainer kind of impulse purchases. And companies can use this on a very ethical level to establish new relationships with prospects. So selling anything, we've got a client who's a huge international manufacturing they're like, uh, we're, we're talking nuclear waste uh, containment kind of products, very expensive, very high end, and it's a long sales cycle. But they also have products that are very simple for like little spills that you can have around the manufacturing floor, things that they can sell online. Mm. So we're talking to them about adding an e-commerce component just for those. Anything that doesn't require uh, real salesmanship, but can be more of an impulse buy, get it on there because as soon as you get somebody to buy one little thing from you, 
you can nurture them into a more valuable client. So that, you know, whether, whether we're talking about services or products, there are opportunities there. Um, and, and so the trip, so you mentioned tripwire, you don't like to frame it as tripwire, but do you, would you suggest almost all companies have some sort of entry level sale? Is that part of the formula that you've seen has been most successful? Yes, definitely. Uh, let's throw out a couple of quick examples. Let's say you're a law firm. I mean, have some sort of a, a quick and easy audit. And for mm-hmm. a law firm, I mean, depends on your target audience. Maybe that's a $100 product. Maybe it's a $10,000 product. You know, what is considered a tripwire depends on, on your target audience. Uh, if you are an agency like us, I mean, we did, used to do a lot of flash websites that were really cool. And we actually made a few flash games. There were things you could just upload it to your website. Now you've got a flash coloring book for the kids section of a website. We sold that thing for 99 bucks because we just built it once. And we're like, yeah, take it, throw it. I mean, NBA was using it. The Dallas Cowboys were using it. We had Red Robin and all these other chains using a $99 product. And a lot of these people became very valuable clients for us. Um, so I think regardless of your industry or a business model, there's potential to do that. And, you know, it's all about providing some initial value and creating relationships. I mean, that's everything you and I talk about when it comes to the, the prospecting and the lead generation side. So I think it's a great way to do that. And through e-commerce, you can really automate and simplify it. Right. I think so many companies need this information right now and especially B2C, B2B, whomever and whomever's listening right now that falls into that category of business growth, business development, marketing, is your conferences are disrupted, trade shows, travel to meet your buyers, meet your prospects, maybe out the window till next year, maybe even longer, who knows? So what, are you, what would you recommend someone who doesn't have a monster Coca-Cola, you know, MBA size budget, um, what do they do? What do they start building right now? Where do they focus their efforts to be present digitally in a way that some of them may not have even started doing it yet until this pandemic? I think that sometimes when we hit a really big challenge like this, it's a great time to do those things that we've been putting off for a while. And for a lot of us, Mm -hmm. that's building a real pipeline. And this is probably more of a B2B discussion than B2C in most cases, uh, but that's good because we've been throwing a mix out during this, this chat anyway. Um, But you talk a lot about LinkedIn prospecting and building that pipeline. I've, I built that online course last year called The Missing Link, which you can now watch all 24 uh, videos, all, all 24 lessons for free on our YouTube channel. Uh, it's a great time to just sit down, give yourself a few hours, get through and learn a new skill like that. Like um, um, the Oracle of Omaha, is his name? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Berkshire Hathaway is escaping me. Oh, uh uh, I know who you're talking about. Bill, <laughs> not Bill Gates. I almost went straight no, to Bill buddy. Gates. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I know there's yeah. a B in there. Uh, I know. What does he say? Man, you totally tripped me up for a second too. I was like, oh, I don't know. That's like that yawning thing where somebody yawns in the room and makes other people yawn. When yeah, right. He's like, oh, I can't think. One of them forgets like, the other one. I can't one. either. Wait, so, quick, so your course is literally called The Missing Link, which is funny because I created a webinar with my dad two years ago three years ago, that's called the missing links to LinkedIn success. It's a good fill because like the missing link, (laughs) like people want to know what the missing link is, right? When it comes to marketing. So 
Uh, um, not to deter too much, but what is, what's the actual context of that program? You said people can find it on YouTube for free, um, so they might as well go go access it. I just don't yeah. want to forget about that. Um, and that's on the Distill My Agency on our new YouTube channel. So you can just go there and it's a whole playlist and you just watch the whole thing. Uh, but there are like LinkedIn training programs, you know, how to generate meetings or appointments through LinkedIn. And this actually goes well beyond that. We essentially have four big chunks to the program where the first one is your upfront. We call it the, um, the blueprint for the program where you're putting together your assets, your messaging and strategy. And then you start doing your outreach and that's three different sequences, the LinkedIn sequence, which teaches you how to use LinkedIn just to generate some new relationships. You're not trying to make sales. You're not trying to generate appointments so much. Uh, and then once you get people through that sequence and you've built some familiarity, you go into the warm call sequence. And I think this is what can be both unique for most people and also maybe uncomfortable for some people. A lot of us think, let's try to do everything online. Let me email, let me automate, you know, mm -hmm. let me get people into my funnel and then I don't have to talk. Uh, so many of us in the digital industry are introverts and it can be uncomfortable. But as Dan Tyre, uh, employee number like three over at HubSpot said, whoever picks up the phone gets all the business. So we take that familiarity and then push it into the warm call where instead of doing cold calls, which are really, really awful, it's a warm call where you've got, you can have somebody pick up the phone. You can you reference that LinkedIn that message conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And then people try you, to overcomplicate it so much. It's like, what well, you got, I agree with you too. As a young millennial guys got to pick up the phone at one point in time. Those of you, whether you're baby boomer listening to this or you're just getting started, you're 20 years old starting your business. I think you hit the nail on the head. Those who pick up the phone win the business. Yeah. I can't tell you looking back over the past 20 years, how many times I've bid or our agency has bid on a, an account, a project, and we get turned down. And I'm like, why? You know, and you ask and you just feel like that, that whoever won that account had some inside relationship or insider knowledge. And I promise you, they were just having better real conversations with the client nine out of 10 times where we were trying to do too much via email or just provide the things that were requested somebody else was smart enough to really develop a relationship in that conversation. So mm. this really- Or maybe got over. there first. Also, I think that happens quite a bit too, is especially in the agency world, someone gets there and then that client just starts vetting out and like, oh, I got to get two or three quotes and More everything. Bids. More bids. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah. You know, the third sequence to my program kind of addresses that too. And yeah. this is based, like I've pulled together so many different concepts, but I think the- the most important one is the three sale mindset. Anybody in sales, any kind of sales who hasn't learned the three sale mindset, I mean, take the 15 minutes to learn it because it's incredible. And it just talks about the fact that you don't, you're not making one sale. Every time you're, you're pitching somebody, you've got three different sales that you need to close and you need to close them in the right order. Once you understand that, I mean, it's a game changer. You'll, You'll double your close rate and anytime you lose anything, you'll know exactly why. You won't be sitting here like me wondering, theorizing about what happened. And, and I think you're speaking more, much more to B2B sales, which is also valuable for anyone is the fact that if you're in a consumer product, you should absolutely have a B2B model built into it. Otherwise, it's hard to scale directly to consumers in, in a significant way. I think most successful consumer products I've seen have gone that way through a B2B model, like what you're talking about. 
So, so what do you mean by those three sales? Cause I kind of have some insight on that too. It's like, first off, you're selling to groups of people, five, six, seven different people. Um, but what are the three sales included in that? This one's more like a psychological perspective to it. So sale number one is why. Why is change required here in the first place? A lot of times we might go in and try to talk to somebody about why they need a new website. They don't think they need a new website. Well, you're dead in the water already. So you don't talk about how great you are at websites. You don't talk about what they need to have on their website or the platform that they need to build it on yet. You need to talk about why the status quo is no longer viable. When you get them to say, you know what, you're right. We do need this. Otherwise, our business is going to shrink. We're going to lose out to competitors. We're going to fall behind, whatever. Once you get that done, then you can move on to sale number two, which is the what. Okay, so what is the solution they need? I mean, we sell e-commerce websites on these four platforms. Somebody else who's bidding on it might be saying, no, 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 you actually need to just build it on uh, Etsy or you know, use Pinterest for your marketing, whatever it is. You need to get them to agree on the what. And once you have agreement on that and you know that they have bought into your particular style of solution, then it's the who. And that's when you, that's the first time in our multi-month missing link process where we say, now it's time to talk about yourself. Hmm. You know this. I get LinkedIn connection requests where people give me three paragraph pitches on their business. And I'm like, Either you're about rate, five months too what early. What they bro. do. <laughs> and people are doing that on Facebook, on Instagram, on email. Email. I mean, yeah. shit. I get so many emails that are like just blah, like just vomits about yourself. People don't know how to sell to the pain, which is pretty much what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. I mean, it, they, they might say, well, it works. I send out 100,000 of these and I actually get like 70 back. I'm like, that's like a less than a 1% close rate. You could actually kind of flip-flop that if you just yeah. did it right and you'd end up with better customers, better clients because what are, who are the idiots? You know, the, the, the 70 out of 100,000 who are saying yes to a spam email. That's not, that's not going to be a valuable client. They're not going to be fun to work with. They're not going to be long-term. They're not going to be profitable. So to get the right ones, you need to build that relationship and that trust in the right way. So, um, but yeah, that's it. I can't tell you how many times we've lost a deal where I can now look back and say, well, they didn't even believe that they needed to change. They didn't think they needed a solution or they probably didn't agree with the direction we wanted to take them on the solution. You know, they wanted SEO. We wanted paid ads or we proposed paid ads. Um, but definitely every situation where you are invited to go speak, present to a prospect who says they want a new website and you go in there and throw up your PowerPoint presentation and you're talking about your capabilities and your client list. And it's like, you, you're, you've got it flip-flopped. You save that stuff for the end. You don't lead with it, you end with it. Um, so I think it's just a, a brilliant concept. Doug Davidoff, Davidoff. Um, yeah. Have, is, have you read uh, Gap Selling? Yeah, I have. Yeah, and Keenan's here in Denver also, but um, it's it falls along those lines also. Is and I think that's where most fail in their businesses in a lot of ways. They're trying too much to talk about the product service, not to the pains and the and they're marketing that way too. All the all it is is features and benefits. They're not talking about the 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 actual asking questions, right? Like selling is not telling. Selling is really asking questions. Yep. And the whole concept of the gap is very upfront. It's about the why, you know, right. you're not, it's not talking about why you're the best partner. So that's, I think just critical to be able to change the mindset where you always start with those whys and why not. Something. Yeah. 
I think that applies to jobs too. When you know, think of how many people are displaced from work. And when you're going to get a job, you're also selling. You're also in a sales role then. So why are you not asking questions? Why are you hiring for this position? Are you sure this is the right position you want to hire for? Is there something else outside of this that I can actually help with? Do you, you know, who else do you need for this role? Or just stuff that really kind of pokes behind the curtain a little bit. I think people who are applying for jobs are even afraid to uh, take that approach. I can't tell you. You're absolutely right. These, these concepts are universal because sales really just means helping somebody make a decision or encouraging somebody or convincing someone to make a certain decision that ideally uh, to keep it ethical that you truly believe they should be making for their own, uh, for their own good. And I can't tell you how much I enjoy using the three sale mindset in just interpersonal relationships. You know, Mm -hmm. if I'm like, all right, there's, uh, I want to go out to eat at this restaurant or I want to go to this place for vacation or, you know, I think we should make this big purchase, whatever it is, thinking, all right, if I want to convince somebody to go along with this, I'm going to start with the why. I'm going to get them to say, yeah, you know what that is? We do need to do that. That is a change that we should be making or that one does make sense before even getting into the other two sales. And it always works brilliantly. There, not that it always leads to a close of a sale. A lot of times it certainly doesn't, but it certainly keeps things um, going along the correct path so that uh, either you succeed or you cut bait before spend, spending too much time on something that's definitely water anyway. Yeah, under, understand, we, I think most salespeople probably waste time or business owners just waste more time than if they just cut, you know, realize this, this guy's interested, but there's really no need there. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't even know the reasons. If they don't even know the reasons, how can I sell to the reasons that they need this product or service? Yeah. And yet how many of us still at the end of the day, go through the the time and effort of creating a proposal anyway, because we put it out there and who knows what'll happen, but it's always wasted time. Yeah. So you've been featured in a, in a number of popular um, platforms and you're in, you're in digital marketing and there's a lot of people in digital marketing, a lot of people in lots of different businesses, insurance, real estate, um, tech. I mean, you name it. Most industries are extremely competitive. So what have you done over the years to set yourself apart from other business owners and been featured and um, had your personal brand recognized. And I, I don't even have to ask you the question. I know it's brought you business opportunity relationships, but what are some of the, what are some of the steps you've built um, things you've done to get that recognition that most business owners feel like they deserve? Mm. I'll tell you, I mean, I don't feel like I'm anybody particularly special and um a lot of people have certainly built their personal brands much, much, much larger than I have in this space, even locally. I've never put any real effort behind it. And I mean, I think that kind of shows, otherwise I would have a whole lot more to show for it. But to me, that's just not what gets me up in the morning. I want to be part of something that just feels fun every day. Uh, I think it feels a whole lot better to work for your employees than to make make it seem like they're working for you. And I'll be honest, it, it wasn't always that way. I mean, maybe for the first half of our existence, I was, I was not in that mindset. I was very focused on the growth and the profit and, and that sort of thing. But now I would much rather just create an environment where employees feel empowered, uh, where they feel rewarded, 
and there's always room for improvement. I'm no, I don't know, Jack Dorsey. I don't know who, who, who some CEO. That We're just love. struggling on people's names today. <laughs> that one guy, you know, with that company and he, successful. Yeah. So, um, Jack Dorsey. But no, he's Twitter, know, isn't he? Jack Dorsey. Yeah. Yeah. He's Twitter and square. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's not a focus of mine to try to do as many podcasts and interviews as possible. And so I just kind of, I, I think I keep my eye on the ball and, you know, I, I build something that I think is compelling and interesting. And over time, I think it almost no matter what you do, some people are going to start to admire or respect some of the stuff that you've achieved or things that you're doing. And I think I've seen a little bit of that, but certainly there's a lot of variety to pull from. Definitely. Well, I appreciate you spending the time to do this one and sharing some insights and definitely look forward to linking back up when you're here in Colorado again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully we'll get some, you know, business networking going again and just events and all that good stuff. But do you know, so you're heading back here towards uh, June, June-ish? We are, we're going to kind of go on a month long, I don't know, road trip of sorts for July. Mm-hmm. And then I think we'll still be back out here for August and then heading back probably like the beginning of September. Nice. And then we'll see. Um, I think it'll be a lot of back and forth. For sure. And you have kids. Right? I have three kids, three uh, kids, basically eight, nine and 13. Cool. Yeah. One of the biggest things I remember was road tripping with, with my family cross country and uh, you know, never forget that experience. And most people yeah. don't get, most kids don't get to have that experience. So that's cool yeah. that you're, you're uh, getting to take the time to do that. I have to put the tent in there because my two little ones have actually never been camping. Oh, so that's dang. kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You're living out there all luxury in California that <laughs> might scare them, man. You might scare them away forever. Um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Well, anything else you want to touch on or share before we, you know, wrap this thing up? Um, single piece of advice you want to drop for you before we end this? Hey, you know, I'm at this point, like so many people, yourself included, I'm, I've got time and, and value to give. So I want to help out wherever I can feel free to ping me. And, um, if, if you want to brainstorm ideas for how to leverage e-commerce or how to implement some of those LinkedIn strategies, like I love talking to people, websites, anything. Um, I don't do paid consultations. So I just like talking to people, setting stuff up all day, all week long and having conversations with people. Cause I feel like I, I learn and get just as much out of any kind of a conversation like that is what I'm able to give. So appreciate the time today though. Yeah, definitely, man. And, and how, what's the best way for people to follow you, get in touch with you? LinkedIn's great. Um, yeah, you know, Yahoo's going to, YouTube is going to be more of a, a one way kind of thing. I've got a lot of, that's where I'm spending most of my time and, and providing content. But in terms of messaging, definitely just hit me up on LinkedIn. Love to connect with people. Beautiful, man. Well, def- I'm following your stuff, consuming your videos also. Going to go check out that program as well. And yeah. thanks for uh, sharing all the insights and, and knowledge. And all of you listening, don't forget, make sure you subscribe so you get notified for future episodes. Leave a review and uh, we'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs>